Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. On today's Christians of History episode, Jens is going to introduce us to everybody's favorite Anglo-Catholic, the the legend behind the most beloved Christian fantasy series that's not Lord of the Rings, C.S. <laughs> Lewis. There you go. Uh, one of my favorite things about C.S. Lewis is how often he's misquoted. Like on the internet anyway, you'll see stuff where someone has this ridiculous quote or a quote that is most obviously attributed to somebody else, but like it'll then be attributed to C.S. Lewis because... I don't know. I feel like screw tape letters often get misquoted and some of his stuff from mere Christianity. But but anyway, we'll, we won't belabor the point any longer. Uh, as Lucas said, we're going to be talking about C.S. Lewis and with somebody so gargantuan, like somebody so big in the theological mind, I, I found it a little difficult to parse his life down to, you know, a measly 15 or 20 minutes. Um, so I tried to find some facts that people maybe didn't know about him. Um, so I tried to find things that I didn't know because I feel like I know quite a bit about C.S. Lewis. So if there's something that you're like, hey, you didn't mention this or you didn't mention this, I maybe intentionally left it out or maybe I just didn't read that as I did some research. But um, with that out of the way, we will jump in. So to give you a, a brief background, a brief summary, uh, C.S. Lewis was one of the intellectual giants of the 20th century, and he was arguably one of the most influential writers of his day. It might be hard to find, as Lucas mentioned, somebody more influential uh, who wrote more popular and contemporary books than C.S. Lewis. Uh, He was a fellow and a tutor in English literature at Oxford until 1954, when he was unanimously elected to the chair of medieval and Renaissance literature at Cambridge, which was a position that he held until his retirement. Uh, in In his lifetime, Lewis wrote more than 30 books, Um, allowing him to reach a vast audience, and his works continue to attract thousands upon thousands of new readers every year. Uh, C.S. Lewis's most distinguished and popular accomplishments include Mere Christianity, Out of the Silent Planet, The Great Divorce, The Screwtape Letters, and the universally acknowledged classics The Chronicles of Narnia. I'm sure almost anybody, if you said The Chronicles of Narnia, they would know what that is. Um, And that's because to date, those books have sold over 100 million copies and have become three major motion pictures. Um, So even if you didn't know that C.S. Lewis was a theologian, that he was um, a professor of many things, um, you at least know that he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. So uh, to, to get more specific into the details of his life, Lewis was born into a bookish family of Protestants in Belfast, Ireland. Um, eclectic in their reading tastes, they purchased and read endless books. And that is what my wife and I aspire to, (laughs) to to purchase books upon books. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually once said that there were books in the study, books in the dining room, books in the cloakroom, books too deep in the great bookcase on the landing, books in the bedrooms, books piled as high as my shoulders in the attic, books of all kinds. So Lewis remembered that really none were off limits to him. So I just, I'm just picturing like this house, just like as a giant book, 
um, and Lewis just spending his days pouring through all of the pages. Uh, he even said that on rainy days, um, and if you've ever been to Ireland, I haven't, but apparently Northern Ireland is known to be quite rainy. Um, on those rainy days, he'd pull volumes off the shelves and he'd enter into these worlds that were created by the authors, um, you know, books by Conan Doyle, um, E. Nesbitt, Mark Twain, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, just to name a few. Uh, after his brother Warren was sent off to an English boarding school in 1905, Jack, as he was affectionately known throughout most of his life, um, became somewhat reclusive. He spent more and more time in his books and uh, in an imaginary world of quote-unquote dressed animals and knights in armor. Uh, but he did more than just read books. Uh, he actually wrote and illustrated his own stories as well. Uh, one article that I was reading was saying that at age three, he was already reading and by age five, writing his own short stories. Um, so something of a prodigy, I guess you could say, um, if in fact that is true. But uh, his mother's death from cancer in 1908 made him even more withdrawn. Mrs. Lewis's death came just three months before Jack's 10th birthday. And the young man was deeply hurt by her passing, as is quite understandable. Not only did he lose a mother... But his father uh, never fully recovered from her death. Again, pretty understandable. Both boys um, felt estranged from their father, and their home life was never really warm or satisfying again. Uh, the, the death of his mom actually convinced him that, that the God he encountered in the Bible, uh, in the Bible um, basically like if... If he wasn't cruel, he was at least like a vague abstraction. So as he's sort of wrestling, imagine like a 10-year-old, 12-year-old uh, wrestling through what it looks like to have a mother pass away, to have a father become withdrawn, to be living in that sort of world. Like what? How do you, how do you think about that? And so, you know, again, growing up in a Protestant home, he began to question and severely doubt his faith, began to question the goodness of God. So by 1911 and 1912, um, with the additional influence of a, a spiritually unorthodox boarding school, Lewis began rejecting Christianity, and he became an avowed atheist. Uh, Lewis entered Oxford in, in 1917 as a student, and he actually never really left. Um, despite an, an interruption to fight in World War I, um, actually in which he was wounded by a bursting shell, he always maintained his home and his friends in Oxford. So his, his attachment to Oxford was actually so strong that when he taught at Cambridge from um, 55 to 63, he would commute back to Oxford on weekends so that he could be close to familiar, to, to familiar places and to his friends. Um, I failed to look up how far away Cambridge and Oxford are from each other, but I can't imagine that they're like super close. Uh, I don't know if you know. I don't. I know all the jokes online about how people in the UK think like a 40 minute drive is like a huge, you know, undertaking but, you know, here in the States. It's like, that's pretty normal. You know, we can drive for 24 hours and not be across the country. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that's a good point. But no, I haven't, I don't know how far, how far they are. I'm sure it would be inconvenient to commute though. Like he must so have really you listener. You tell us. Look it up right now and comment on our Twitter how far apart they are. I'm, I'm waiting for one of you to do it, okay? Um, but as, as Lewis continued to read, he especially enjoyed Christian author George MacDonald. 
Um, one volume, which I believe is entitled Fantasies or Fan, Fan Tastes, um, actually powerfully challenged his atheism. He said, what it actually did to me was convert and even baptize my imagination. Um, G.K. Chesterton's books uh, mer- worked much in the same way, especially his book, The Everlasting Man, uh, which raised serious questions about the young intellectual's materialism. So as Lewis is growing up, becoming a man, um, some of the things that he really struggled with was materialism with um, a high emphasis on gaining and accruing materials and valuables and um, seeing that as a position of status of something to boast in. Um, So while MacDonald and Chesterton were stirring Lewis's thoughts, his close friend Owen Barfield pounced on the logic of Lewis's atheism. Barfield had converted from atheism to theism and then finally to Christianity and frequently badgered Lewis about his materialism. So did uh, Neville Coghill, a brilliant fellow student and lifelong friend who, to Lewis's amazement, was a Christian and a thoroughgoing supernaturalist, as he describes it. Uh, But soon after joining the English faculty at Magdalen College, Lewis met two more Christians, Hugo Dyson and J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, These men became close friends of Lewis. Uh, He admired their brilliance and their logic, uh, something that people severely lack these days. Um, Soon, (laughs) Lewis recognized that most of his friends, like his favorite authors, um, held to Christianity. So basically, in 1929, these roads all collided, and Lewis surrendered, admitting that God was God, and he knelt and prayed, quote-unquote. Within two years... This reluctant convert also moved from theism to Christianity, and he actually joined the Church of England. Uh, Almost immediately, Lewis set out in a new direction, uh, most demonstrably in his writing, um, earlier efforts to uh, become a poet. So again, Lewis grew up writing little short stories and illustrating them Um, in life. He actually wanted to become a poet. Um, So he sort of laid those aspirations to rest And the new Christian devoted his talents and his energies to writing prose that reflected his recently found faith. Um, Within two years of his conversion, Lewis had published A Pilgrim's Regress, which was an allegorical apology for Christianity, I think playing on the title of A Pilgrim's Progress. Um, So this little volume opened a 30-year stream of books on Christian apologetics, discipleship, um, really what blossomed into a, a lifelong devotion to to Christian literature and, and academia. Um, but during the, the last decade of his life, uh, Lewis's world was invaded by an American woman and her two children. So this is something I never knew. Um, in 1952, Joy David Gresham, uh, sorry, Joy Davidman Gresham, who had become a Christian through actually reading The Great Divorce in the Screwtape Letters, which is a very interesting two books, you know, Mere Christianity wasn't mentioned, but um, The Great Divorce and Screwtape Letters led this woman to become a Christian. And so she actually went to go visit her spiritual mentor in England. So this is a lady living in America, comes to England. um, And soon after, her husband abandoned her for her, um, I think her cousin, um, someone related to her, and she moved to London uh, with her two adolescent boys, David and Douglas. So Gresham... uh, gradually fell into financial trouble uh, trouble which is understandable given that you know she's a single mother living in a new country um, who knows how difficult it is to to find work and so her acquaintance with lewis led to his 
um, basically underwriting the boarding school education of David and Douglas. And basically the charity that he offered her and their common literary interests, um, those two things sort of blossomed into a deep friendship and then eventually love. And they were married uh, in 1956. So Joy was 16 years younger than Lewis, uh, but that did not prevent a happy marriage. Uh, but unfortunately, a, a savage case of cancer cut their marriage short less than four years after the wedding. Uh, she was so ill even before the wedding that Lewis actually called the wedding a deathbed marriage. Um, but her death, like the death of his mother, dealt a severe blow. If you've ever read his book, A Grief Observed, which I didn't actually, I didn't know that he published under a pen name originally. Um, he didn't publish it as C.S. Lewis. Oh, um, but do you know? But after, do you know what he called his autobiography? No, I'm surprised blanking. by joy. Uh yes, I did know that. I, I did know that. I, I actually have a giant C.S. Lewis like compendium of his works. Um, I, there's like ten books in it or something. But um, yeah, he again his 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 wife's uh, death left a severe blow. Um, and grief, anger, doubts ensued for the next several years. But in early June of 1961, Lewis began suffering from nephritis, um, which resulted in blood poisoning. So his illness caused him to miss the autumn term at Cambridge. Um, and though his health gradually began improving in 62, um, his, his, I don't know, his friends say that he was fully himself again in, by 1963, um, and on July 15th that year, he actually fell ill again and was admitted to the hospital. And he actually suffered a heart attack at 5 p.m. the next day and um, lapsed into a coma. Um, but then unexpectedly waking the following day. So kind of crazy. He, he has a heart attack, goes into a coma, wakes up, and then is discharged from the hospital. And he returned to where he was living. Um, though he was too ill to return to his work. And so as a result, he resigned from his post at Cambridge in August of um, 63. So uh, Lewis's condition continued to decline, and he was diagnosed with end-stage kidney failure in mid-November of 1963. I'm, I'm kind of being a little like trying to... I, this is something I never knew what I'm getting at here. So he collapsed in his bedroom at 5.30 p.m. on November 22nd, exactly one week before his 65th birthday, and he died a few minutes later. So November 22nd, 1963. Um, so he was buried in the churchyard of Holy Trinity Church in Oxford. Uh, his brother Warren died April 9th of 73 and was buried in the same grave. Um, but here's the really interesting thing, if you haven't caught on yet already, is that media coverage of Lewis's death was almost completely overshadowed by the news of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, which occurred on the same day, approximately 55 minutes after Lewis's collapse. So Lewis collapses in England, um, and JFK is assassinated in the United States in what, like Dallas, um, 55 minutes later. Um, here's the other weird thing. Uh, this also was overshadowed by the death of English writer Aldous Huxley, who wrote um, Brave New World. So this coincidence was the, was the inspiration for Peter Kreft's book, Between Heaven and Hell, a dialogue somewhere beyond the grave with John F. Kennedy, C.S. Lewis, and Aldous Huxley. 
So that was like mind blowing when I when I read that fact that JFK, C.S. Lewis, and Aldous Huxley, these three like massive figures, when you think about you know the fields that they were in, all died on the same day, some within minutes of each other. Um, so that's a, a pretty incredible. I mean, I don't like to say the word coincidence because like, you know, God's sovereign and all, but um, from a human perspective, that is a great coincidence. And um, man, I. Is there something you want to add? It's a little. Spe- speaking of coincidences, I ha- I had never heard that. I I didn't know about Aldous Huxley, but I literally read earlier today in a book that C.S. Lewis and JFK died on the same day. I didn't know yeah. that until today, but not right now. <laughs> like like two <laughs> hours crazy. ago, I was reading Talk a book. About coincidence. Not not about C.S. Lewis or JFK. It just mentioned it. So oh weird. Um. Uh. Anyway, that's. That is really interesting. I yeah. that that's quite a fact. I had no idea. For some reason I, right. I I don't like like I knew he was alive in the 60s, but like in my mind he's like way before JFK yeah. historically. Right, exactly. You know, like that's so interesting how that how that works out. I don't, I don't yeah. know. It all it, it kind of puts it in perspective. Like when you think about crazy events in American history, like the JFK assassination is a pretty big one. Um, and then to think that like a little bit. Again, within the global you know the, the the sphere of what goes on in the world um to have these two great writers also pass on the same day is pretty pretty insane um, yeah. but i guess to, to sort of like conclude to begin wrapping up um it's obvious by now c.s lewis was a brilliant writer an author of many beloved books um he was a part of a, a group in I, I believe in oxford uh, called the inklings um they would meet very frequently to discuss books um the the happenings of their life um you know so it was lewis tolkien and then like two other dudes who i i'm blanking on their names but i'm just trying to imagine what it would have been like because i know that that tolkien and um lewis were like super good friends and everything and and he even had like a massive impact on lewis um you know becoming a christian it's it's really interesting to even consider that that two people with such giant I mean, to think of Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia and like those two authors were like really good friends. It's pretty incredible as well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even think of like another comparison. I don't know. I mean, maybe like Socrates and Plato. It makes me like hopeful, you know, like I don't don't know why, but it just it makes me like it's very like heartwarming. I don't know. That sounds so terrible, like so corny and dumb, but like. To imagine, like, you know, the halls of Oxford and them, you know, sitting down and reading together and talking about, you know, maybe they talked about Aslan and the elves and who knows, you know, I don't know, like, that's just, it's crazy to think. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, again, it's hard to talk about the life of, of such a important and influential man, but I hope that I at least was able to capture some of who he was and. Um, if you want to read any of his works, uh, where to begin? Um, I think we've mentioned Screwtape Letters a couple of times. We've mentioned Mere Christianity. Um, trying to think if anything else has come up in our 70-some episodes we've had so far. But, you know, you can start really anywhere. I mean, that's the thing yeah. that's really nice about his works is that I would they're very highly, evil. highly recommend Out of the Silent Planet. That's my favorite book of his. And then also um, The Great Divorce which is that you, the mentioned, first? you mentioned both of those, but okay. Is that the first in his like space trilogy? 
out of out of the silent planet is the the first in, in that trilogy dude yeah. i really so like after doing this research excuse me after doing this research i really want to read those books i actually i don't know when i got it or why i have it i have a book that he wrote called um till we have faces um mm. which is like the retelling of the love story between cupid and psyche i think is oh, how you'd say interesting. that um, but it's supposedly his best work of fiction. Like that's like when you, if you look up the book, that's like what critics say. That's what um, people that wow. I've talked to have said. So at last night I started it, and I'm like, I'm really excited to keep jumping into it. But um, that's super cool. But yeah. So C.S. Lewis was really in, really interesting. If you want to learn more, I I encourage you, like Lucas, to to go just read through his collections because he has a lot of really mm-hmm. important and really good books definitely sweet well thanks for sharing as always and thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the doxology podcast if you'd like to connect with us you can hit us up as always again on twitter or instagram at doxology podcast or shoot us an email at doxology podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear your feedback questions ideas for future episodes including and maybe even especially future christians of history episodes um, you can sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date um, and uh, let us know how far Cambridge is from Oxford. See you. Later. Later.